Well, good morning. Some San Francisco 49ers fans here today. We're all praying that God would bless them this afternoon. Hey, I don't know about you, but I've made some dumb decisions with finances in my life. One in particular that sticks out in my mind was the day I bought my first Apple computer. Somehow I just got it in my mind that I needed to have a Mac. And I, I don't know what it was, if it was just like at the coffee shop, every guy who looks cool with the shaved head and the thick glasses on has a Mac. Every girl that's a little bit more attractive has a Mac. I might add, my wife has a Mac. And every time I would see somebody who had an Apple computer, I just felt like if I could get an Apple computer, I would be a cut above the rest of society. And so one day I was walking through CompUSA before they went bankrupt. And as I'm walking through CompUSA, I find the opportunity of a lifetime right in front of me. Zero money down, 0% interest for one year, and you can get an Apple computer. And so I walked around that computer like a hawk circling its prey as the light glistened off the titanium case. And I thought, I could be a Mac user today. And so I signed across the dotted line, gave my life away. And that afternoon, I went over to the coffee shop and pounded out emails and felt like a king on my new Apple G4 laptop. And then I paid for it over the course of the next year. Very dumb decision. And you know, when I look back, a part of the irony of this moment was how new that computer felt, how I felt like a king that moment as I'm there writing my emails, typing on this computer. And now today, how archaic the computer looks. It looks like a computer that Moses from the Old Testament of the Bible would have used. And I've noticed that stuff is like that, isn't it? I mean, I can think of dozens of shirts in my closet that when I tried them on at the store, I thought, man, if I get this shirt, I'm going to be so cool. And now I think, did I ever even wear that shirt? See, stuff has an expiration, does it not? An expiration date, does it not? That a car, it loses that good new smell about six to eight weeks after we buy it. A home that at one time was just built can seem so old and archaic later. Stuff just falls apart. Yet so many of us live our lives pursuing our joy, our peace, our hope, our life in the things of this world. And what we've been doing with this In Motion message series is we've been looking at the key teachings of Jesus that challenge us to action. We're looking at five bold moves that Jesus challenged his followers to make. And his bold moves always involved two things. Number one, it involved a paradigm shift, a different way of seeing the world, a different way of seeing God, a different way of seeing relationships, and then a call to action, a call to obey the truth and the principles of God. And today we're going to look at a teaching of Jesus where he challenges us as, and those of us who follow him to live generously, to embrace a generosity mindset and a generosity paradigm for our lives. In fact, one of the things that is so important to notice on the front end, that there is this constant war in our hearts that is being waged. It's a war between greed and generosity and whether or not we will let our lives be reoriented towards a heart, a mind, a life of generosity that God intends for us to live. So many of us in the room today are one to two decisions away from a totally different reality. One to two key bold moves away from the life that God intends us to live. One to two moves away from changing our thinking about dating or the way that we approach relationships that will ultimately lead to a life-giving marriage. One to two decisions away from complete financial freedom or at least the path 
towards financial freedom if we'll embrace. So today I want to encourage you to open up your, your heart and your mind to the challenge that Jesus is going to give us to live generously found in Luke chapter 12, verse number 11. And Jesus is going to get to the heart of this young man who comes to him and says this. Look at Luke chapter 12, starting in verse number 13, excuse me. It says, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you and your brother? It reminds me of my two little boys. They have hundreds of toys in our house. In fact, I find it interesting that around the holidays, grandparents, they always want, what do they want to give the kids? They want to give the kids toys that they can play with that a few months later, they're old. Yet we have all these toys and our kids will fight over one toy. Like, you know, Cars 2, the movie, some of you guys have probably seen it. There's Chick Hicks, Lightning McQueen, all these cool cars. And we, we have dozens of them. And my kids will get in a fight over one Lightning McQueen car. And whenever I see them fighting over one car, I really don't care who has the car, to be honest with you. I don't care if Caveman has it or Sammy has it. But what I do care about is their heart. And Jesus, in this instant, is going to go to the heart of this guy who comes to him, wants Jesus to play the judge between he and his brother and help them divide the inheritance. Jesus doesn't care about who gets the inheritance. Jesus cares about the man's heart. And listen to what he says. It says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This one verse alone is so packed with truth. Jesus says this, watch out and be on your guard against greed. He says all kinds of greed. Greed is like a toxin that when we begin to live with a greed mindset or a greed paradigm, it will infiltrate every relationship in every component of our lives. Jesus says, be on your guard. And the best defense is what? A good offense is to put the ball in the end zone. And the only way to fight greed is with a heart of generosity. It's to move from greed to generosity. And Jesus also says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I've noticed in my journey, being around people who have great levels of resources financially and people who live in poverty, that greed is not a heart condition that is just unique to people who have lots of wealth. Greed is a heart condition that fills the hearts of people all different gamuts of the continuum of wealth here in this world. Jesus says you have to assume a posture that you will fight against the mindset of greed. And he's going to, in this story, lay out for us four greed paradigms or four ways of looking at the world or life and stuff and I want to highlight the difference between a greed paradigm and a generosity paradigm. Before there's ever going to be a change in our lives, there has to be a change in our paradigm. Before there's an operational change, there's going to be a change in the way that we think. And Jesus is going to reorient our thinking towards generosity. So listen to what he says. He tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Where did the crop come from? It came from the ground. Jesus highlights very intentionally that it was not this man's skill, it was not this man's intelligence or wisdom that produced the crop. The crop came from the ground, yet listen to what happens. The man thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I want you to look at the personal pronoun, I, me, my, all throughout this story as Jesus describes this man who's filled with greed. He says, what shall I do? I, 
I, I have all of this stuff. I have no place to store all of my crops. And here's the first greed paradigm I want us to see. It's the mentality that says, my hands produce my wealth. It's a state of arrogance that says, I'm the one that has pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Yet Jesus is wanting to reorient us towards a generosity paradigm, which ultimately says that God determines my net worth. God is the one who determines our net worth. He causes the rise and fall of kings and kingdoms. He knows the value of every stock in the stock market. He can cause it to rise and fall at any given moment. He determines the value and the worth of your home. And I want you to hear this. Your intelligence, your capacity, your competence, and your aptitude all come from God. Your relationships, your connections, and your opportunities all are from the hand of God. And success in this life, by the world's standards, should not drive us to a greater place of arrogance and pride. Success should always drive us to a greater level of humility and dependence upon God. Because all of us will stand accountable for God, before God, with that which he has entrusted into our hands. The greed mindset says ultimately that I've produced my wealth. The generosity mindset says God is the one who determines the value of all my assets. And then Jesus continues, and he says, this is what the man then said. Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down what? My barns, and I'll build bigger ones. There I will store all of my grain and my goods. Do you, do you hear this guy's mindset? It's so obvious. His mindset is that all of his stuff belongs to him. It's my stuff, my grains, my barn. What shall I do with all of my money? Yet a generosity paradigm that Jesus is wanting to change our thinking towards is this, that my stuff belongs to God. Very practically, what this means is at the beginning of every year, Stacy and I will sit down with our budget and we'll plan how we'll spend our money for the next year. And we'll say to God, God, that which you have given to us, we believe that you've entrusted into our hands and we want to be faithful stewards. Every dollar in our bank account belongs to you. It's just a, a different way of thinking about our resources. My mother-in-law told me this. I thought this was brilliant. After her parents passed away, they knew that the money in their parents' bank account based upon their will was equally distributed to the kids and the family. But they didn't know what to do with all the stuff that was in their house. So there were dressers for, you know, clothing that had significant and sentimental value to them. And so they decided that they would each get a stack of sticky tabs. And they would go through the house and they would put one sticky tab rotating between the siblings until everything in the house had been claimed as an item that belonged to one person. I thought this was a, a brilliant idea. I just thought it probably took way too long. I think that after you got down to socks and underwear, I think it's like, okay. But I, I thought... This is a just and fair way to distribute all the assets between the children. But what I started thinking about is, what if we did that with all of our stuff? Not, a, not in a tangible, real way, but in a mental way. With all of our items, if we just went through it and we put a sticky tab on it and said, that belongs to God. That house belongs to God. That car belongs to God. That shirt belongs to God. Those socks belong to God. Everything I have, my bank account belongs to God. My relationships belong to God. My skills belong to God. And if we could change our thinking towards the way that Jesus is challenging us to embrace this generosity mindset, it would move us towards a life where God blesses us with the intangible in a way that we've never discovered before. Listen, 
When we will trust God with that which is tangible, he will entrust us with that which is intangible. And God is wanting through stuff for us to display our trust in him and for then him to entrust us with that which is intangible, the joy, the peace, the hope, the purpose that only can flow through him. So this man continues, and he's in his folly. Jesus is describing him. And he says this, So I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many of years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Is that not the Silicon Valley dream? Start a company, grow it till the age, you know, till you can sell it to Google for a few million dollars when you're 32, 33 years old, and then do what? Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Go to Rome on some trips, go hang out in Maui for a few weeks, go to Buenos Aires and enjoy yourself, eat at all the nicest restaurants, enjoy your life, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. It sounds like this guy has been listening to some Dave Matthews. And Jesus is challenging us through this story with our paradigm of how we think about life. See, so many of us have the misnomer, and this leads to greed, that more stuff will make me happy. That if I get more house, if I get more car, if I have greater freedom financially, then at some point, I'm going to reach a place of happiness. It's like a treadmill that you jump on it and you start running. You guys ever done this? And you increase the speed until you can't run anymore. You just go up, 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 up. And you're going and going and going faster, 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 faster until the point where you actually fall off the treadmill and you can't hang. And that's happened to me a couple times. And you're, you're just trying to prove yourself. You're trying to go faster and faster and faster and faster towards a destination that really does not exist. So many of us are looking for happiness in our stuff. And it's an endless destination. It's an endless pursuit that never reaches a destination. I think when, when you travel the country, you can see different mindsets that infiltrate. It's almost like there are cultural idols and sins in different places all over the United States. And one of the things that is so clear to me about the Silicon Valley and our culture is that so many of us have bought into this myth that if I just get more, it will make me happy. Listen, what good is a 3,000 square foot house that is decked out with all the nicest furniture if when you come home, there's immediate strife in your marriage? What good is it? What good is it if you can take a vacation to Maui, but the whole time you're on vacation, you can't stop thinking about all your problems back at home and you can't enjoy your relationship with your kids while you're there. What good is a brand new BMW with decked out leather that smells so nice and makes you look so cool if on the way to work you're so filled with anxiety and worry that you can't actually enjoy that which God has given to you? See, so many of us have so much yet there's this great hole of emptiness in our hearts and in our lives. It's not that stuff is bad. Uh, don't hear me wrong. Some of you guys, you're very blessed. I don't, I don't want you to think that you need to feel guilty about that which God blesses you for, but, with. But so many of us have, have flipped the mindset that that's where we're looking to fill the hole of happiness and joy in our hearts. And the more we try to stuff that hole with the things of this world, the more disappointed and the more empty we feel, the more empty our lives become. And a generosity mindset says this, it's that real joy ultimately can't be bought. It can only be given. True joy cannot be bought. It can only be given. The greatest things in this world are intangible. 
the greatest things in life cannot be bought. I think about driving down the road with my son, Caden, who's five years old. I take him to school on Tuesday and th- Thursday mornings, and every, every morning when I'm driving to, to school, the last mile and a half or t- a few minutes in the car, I'll pray a prayer of blessing over him. And recently I've started, out, started reaching back and holding his hand while I pray over him. I was just thinking the beauty of this moment where my little five-year-old boy loves me enough that he's not ashamed that somebody's going to drive by in the car and he'll hold my hand as I pray for him. I think about those moments when I get to get on the ground and wrestle with my, my sons and the joy that's there and these, these relationships that are forming or sitting across the table from, from my wife and looking into her eyes after eight and a half years of marriage that God continues to bless us. For those of you who are single, some of you guys have greater capacity right now with your time than you will ever have for the rest of your life. But you're filling it with the things of this world. Your, your extra time, your extra margin in life is going to your job when this could be some of the greatest formation of character, t- the time of the greatest formation of character in your life, that you, you have extra time that you could go out on a Saturday and look over the hills and, 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 uh, at the west part of the valley, valley and look at the creation of God and connect with Him at a deeper level or use this extra time to begin to experience a deeper relationship with Him. So many of us are trying to fill our lives with the things of this world and Jesus is reorienting us to a new definition of success that you're working hard you're climbing this ladder but you're you're going to get to the end of this life and realize that the ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall there's no there's no greater disappointment than to strive your whole life to build it on a facade of of some some hope that you will finally find joy but at the end of your life to look back and realize that the ladder was against the wrong wall. Jesus redefines that joy cannot be bought. Happiness cannot be bought. It can only be given. It is the overflow of a relationship with God. When I trust God with the tangible, he entrusts me with that which is tangible. And then the last thing that we see here. But God said to him, you fool. Look it. Jesus highlights the folly of greed. It is the ultimate of folly to live in the way that this man is living. And he says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who's going to get it? Who's going to get all the cars? Who's going to get the house? Who's going to get all the money in your bank account? It all goes back in the box. It's like the game of Monopoly. At the end, it all goes back in the box. It is foolish to live for the things of this world. And then he says, this is how it will be anyone, with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. See, the green, greed mindset is this. This life is all that matters. We live for this life, and this life is all that matters. But what Jesus is saying is ultimately, with generosity, eternity is what matters most. And all of us will stand before a living God and give account for our lives. And there are two questions he'll ask you. The first question he'll ask you is, what did you do with the message of his son? This is the question of salvation. It's the question of whether or not you received the grace and mercy that comes through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, Jesus is, just, is more than just a great teacher who challenged people's paradigm and called them to action. Jesus is God in human flesh. And he was God's messenger through the cross to declare to humanity God's love and his justice. The justice is that because of our sin and our wrongdoings, we deserve to spend eternity apart from Christ. 
all the moments of anger and frustration and selfishness and folly should cause us to spend eternity separated from God. But at the same time, Jesus' death is a message of God's love that God so wanted us to be restored and reconnected to his heart that Jesus would become the payment for our wrongdoings. And when we stand before God, he's not going to say to us, did your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds? Like 51% good, 49% bad? Oh, you get to spend eternity with me. He's going to ask you the question of salvation. Did you receive the forgiveness? So the Bible says that it's by grace we receive salvation. And through faith, this relationship begins that you walk across the bridge and experience God's love entering into that relationship that he desires for you. The second question is a question of stewardship. It's what did you do with what I put in your hands? With the time, talent, and treasure that I placed in your hands, what did you do with it? And I, I just want to take a few minutes to emphasize what this might look like practically for us to move towards not just embracing a paradigm of generosity, but embracing a life of generosity and letting it infuse every component of our life. This bucket of Skittles ultimately re represents God's ability to provide for us. But what I want us to see is that if you break it down into tenths, and you just kind of imagine that we have, we have a gamut of amounts of resources. Some of our cups are more full than others. Some of our cups are struggling financially. But these 10 cups represent how we break up our mind. And not that God necessarily breaks it up into categories the way that we do, but we have a tendency to divide in our mind different categories of how we spend our money. Now, we know that in the Bay Area, the biggest category is housing. I, I found it interesting. Dave Ramsey, who's a financial guru, says that 25% of our income should go towards housing. Anybody in the Bay making that one? No, it's more like 40 to 50% of our income, unless, of course, you bought a house 30, 40 years ago. It might be a little bit different. So we'll go ahead and spend those two cups. We'll dump them out, representing, getting rid of the money, spending it out. So we've got to take care of our housing, right? We've got to make sure that all the bills are paid, that the light bill's on because we want to be able to see our family and look at their eyes. And, and it's getting really cold in the middle of the winter, so we need to make sure that heat is on. So we take care of that. Second category that we usually consider is food, right? I mean, we gotta, we gotta eat, we gotta feed little Johnny, and we gotta make sure that Susie has food on the table, and gotta make sure it's good food too, right? Gotta make sure you, you get a gamut of healthy food, organic food, and uh, make sure that they take good care of themselves by not eating all those pesticides that cows are filled with these days, apparently. Second would be our cars, right? You got to make sure that you have transportation. Well, depending on who you are, maybe that's one or two cups. You know, if you drive a really nice Beamer and you lease it out and it's, you know, 600 bucks a month, that might be two cups. And not only do you have your car, but you got to have gas. Unless, of course, you're a true San Francisco Bay Area person and you have, like, an electronic car, then you don't need to worry about that. But in that case, you're might be two cups to pay for that car. So, and then you, you have your medical. You got to take care of all of your expenses to go to the doctor, to brush your teeth. And then we have our hygiene cup. Some of you singles in the room should make sure that you're spending that one. If you want to get married, that's one that you probably need to invest in. Got to brush those teeth, get some deodorant, spray some cologne on. Some of you could probably get married if you just got some cologne and took a shower once in a while. 
And then you have the entertainment and the vacation fund, right? Because, man, it, the pressure is on here. I mean, it, it, it is rough living in the Silicon Valley. I got to make sure that I take care of myself, that I stay sane. So I got to go to Tahoe a couple times every winter, and I, I got to make sure that I have enough money to go down to San Diego at least once a year and go to Orange County and see Mickey Mouse and make sure that, you know, I stay sane because I, I, I want to be able to finish my life and, and not go crazy. And then after that, you know, there are all miscellaneous things that show up. I mean, there's the visa bill. You don't want visa to come knocking on your door. There's, you know, gifts that you got to give to your friends. And we, we just kind of pour it all out. And then it kind of comes to the point where it's time to give back to God. And there's like a couple of Skittles left in the cup. And you say, God, this is what I have for you. And we've put everything else before God. We've put him last in our lives. And what I want to talk about for the next few moments is reorienting our thinking to say this cup that goes back to God is the first cup. That the first cup of all I get goes back into the bucket and is entrusted to the one who's able to trust me with that which is intangible and continue to fill all of these cups. Now, here's what I want to say. I've noticed in church life and being around other people who are followers of Christ that there are four types of givers. And I want to invite you to ask you to write these four types of givers down on your sheet. The first type of giver is those who give nothing back to God. It's not on the notes. You just got to hang with me. It, it's, it's those of us, in, in reality, it's a very, very small percentage of people, but we just say, I'm not going to give back to God. I've got to take care of my bills. I got to make sure that everything is covered for me. But the second category of giving would be what we call tippers. Those are people who do all this other stuff, and then at the end of it, we, we kind of throw God a bone. God, that sermon today was really good. Here's a 20. Thank you for that. The worship leader who stands up there with the spiky hair, man, he is hot. He's a really good-looking guy, and I love that music. Here's an extra five. Those pastors at South Bay, man, they're, they're doing a great job. God, I'm going to throw you a bone it's like a consumer mindset about giving back to God. This is where the majority of us live. It's in tipping God. Now, let me say this. Maybe you're at this point, not because of a heart condition, but because nobody's ever educated you. That's why we emphasis, emphasize so much here the importance of understanding God's paradigm for stewardship. We have a book that, at our resource center that we'd love to give to you today called The Treasure Principle. If you're struggling and you want some more resources, we do a life group called Financial Peace, and today you can sign up for that. If you're struggling financially, we'll help you and we'll sponsor you. We'll help you in, in a way that can get your feet underneath you. Listen, the heart condition, though, ultimately is what God is going after and he's wanting to move us to a third type of giving, which is called threshold giving. And it's the biblical principle of the tithe that's emphasized all throughout the scriptures, starting in the Old Testament. And the reason it's called threshold giving is because it's the beginning of a life of generosity. And it's emphasized in Malachi chapter 3, and I want you to hear this verse. Malachi chapter 3 in the Old Testament, verse, verses 9 through 11. And the prophet is speaking, and he says this. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. 
It's not just talking about the tangible. God is talking here about the tangible plus the intangible. That when we trust him, he's able to give to us that which money could never buy. And then he says this, I'll prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit. And then all nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God is wanting to move us to a kind of threshold giving where the first cup of all he gives to us, we give back to him, is an act of worship and trust. Now, some of you, you're new to faith. This concept is, is maybe even mind-blowing to you. It's like, I can't be believe this. Listen, if you're exploring, I, I want you just to, to listen to this. And the thing you need to be processing at this point is, do you really believe that this guy, Jesus, died on a cross and rose from the dead? And will you give your life to following him? You, don't be overly concerned about all the mathematical things I'm talking about here. But for those of you who are followers of Christ, there's this mindset that creeps into the way that we think about generosity and we say, well, the whole idea of tithing is an Old Testament. It's a principle of the law from the Old Testament. But what I want us to see and understand is that through the teachings of Jesus, Jesus always took the law to a whole new level. Because law is what we do out of obligation, but obedience in the New Testament under grace was not something that we do because we have to. It's something we do because we get to. And Jesus would emphasize over and over again. He would take concepts like lust and, and, and marriage, sex outside of marriage, and he would say, many of you have heard that if you sleep with a woman that is not your wife, you've committed adultery. But Jesus said, I tell you that if in your heart you lust after another woman, that's adultery. Many of you have heard that it's said that if you, if you kill a person, that this is a violation before God. But I tell you, if there's anger in your heart, you have violated the law of God. Jesus helps to drill down that the concept underneath grace is always greater than it was in the Old Testament. And so many, of, so many of us religiously check off the box with a tithe and we write the first tenth. And what God is wanting to do in us is so much more than that. He's wanting to move us to the fourth level of giving, which is this. It's called spirit-led sacrificial giving. That I would begin to shift my mindset to reorient everything that comes into my life is an opportunity to bless those around me to be a conduit of God's provision. I, I think about it like this. My wife Stacy and I, over the course of our marriage, have made a decision that we would increase our percentage of giving every year. Now, if we live to be 90 years old, this is going to be a problem for us. But we're just trusting that God is going to be faithful to provide. And every year we sit down and we say, God, where do you want us to give more this year? And over the holidays, we received an extra change of money that came in as a bonus at the end of the year. And we felt like God was leading us to give that away. And we sat down and we prayed through. And there was this one family or this single mom in our church we felt like God was leading us to give a specific amount of money to. After we gave that check to her, she sent us an email saying that that was the exact amount of money that I needed to pay my bills that week. Praise God, he's been so faithful and so good. God is not just interested in you giving a check to a church so that you can check it off of a box. God is wanting to move us to a life of generosity, that followers of Christ would be known for generosity, that people who go to a restaurant, instead of tipping like 10 to 15 percent because they didn't feel like the waiter or waitress did a good job, that that waiter or waitress saw you praying over your meal, that we would be the kind of people that would tip 30, 40, 50 percent for somebody just to bless them out of generosity. 
that we would become the kind of people that when we send our kids to school, we would bless the teachers of our children and we would say, hey, if you need some extra help this year, don't take it out of your pocket. Let me help. Could you imagine the difference that it would make if every follower of Christ approached life with this mindset? That when you go out to lunch this week and you're sitting down with a coworker, instead of letting them pick up their tab and your tab, you said, no, I'm going to bless you this week. See, it's a different way of thinking about life. It's not just about a local church. It's about a life where God's spirit and his power is unleashed as he realizes and looks and finds people who say, I'm willing to take everything that you place into my hands and let it be a conduit in order for me to be a part of your blessing this world with your love. Now, I want to say two things before we finish. First, I want to challenge you. We're going to do a test drive as a church. I want to challenge you to trust God for 90 days as the scripture calls us to trust him. To move to that next level of generosity. To say, I'm going to move from tipping God to trusting him with the threshold gift. I'm going to move from trusting him with the threshold gift to go to spirit-led sacrificial giving. And watch if over the next 90 days, God's hand is not unleashed on you. Not just financially. It's not about money. God's not a genie that you rub so that you can get a nicer car or a nicer house. But watch as the Spirit of God is unleashed in an intangible way in your life in ways that you never have experienced before. But here's what I want to say to you. Some of you, whenever you hear this talked about, whenever you hear the subject of money addressed, I know that you, you have previous experiences. Maybe you saw a pastor on TV and he had really big hair and nice suits and multiple rings on his hand and it was just about getting more money for his ministry. Listen, it's not about getting more money for our church. Did you know that our church finished almost, almost 15% above budget last year because of the generosity of our people and the faithfulness of God? This is not a sinking ship. We're not, we're not going down here. If you, if you feel like it's a motivation issue, go give it to another church. Go find a homeless guy and pay for his meal for a couple of months. Go, go give it to somebody else. It's, it's not about what we want from you. It's about what we want for you. It's about what is unleashed in your life when you will be willing to trust God with the tangible things of this world. God is wanting to move us to a whole new level of impact in our lives and in our community as a church as we entrust or as we embrace this life of sacrificial or, I, would sh I should say, obedient generosity and let him grow it over the course of time. Let me say one more thing to you too. Our church has seen God do amazing things. Some of you, you sacrificially give in the leadership of the Spirit of God in amazing ways. And I want you to, we are so grateful for your partnership with us to watch the kingdom of God spread. In fact, this last week we got some really good news about our, our future facility. Many of you guys know that over the next six to eight weeks we're going to be moving into uh, a new building. Our goal is by Easter to be in that building, but it was, it was really a, a tight squeeze for us because we didn't know if the city of San Jose was going to give us a permit, but this week through the hard work of Hinan, who's on our staff and our attorney, the city of San Jose gave us the permit for us to begin construction on our new facility, and we praise God for his faithfulness and all the doors that he continues to open up. And I want you to see that all of this is just the beginning of the journey for us as a church. We've gone from six people to almost 750 people in regular attendance in less than three years. And God is doing something here that is more than just building a church. It's building a movement of his love changing this region. And we know statistically that 5% of our region is apart from a relationship with Christ. 
And our hope is that over the next 20 to 30 years, we would see that needle tip. And when we pass the torch to our children and our grandchildren, that we would see this region be 10, 15, 25% reached with the message of Christ. And as we will trust God, as we will say, God, I will give all that I have back to you. There's something supernatural that happens when the Spirit of God is unleashed in us and His resources are freed that one day we're going to go from one campus and I'm praying this year that God would help us start a second campus for South Bay and over the course of the next 10, 15, 20 years, our vision is that there would be 20 South Bay campuses all over the South Bay region and there would be hundreds of churches that we would have the opportunity to be a part of starting and that the needle would tip in God's love would be radically moving through our area, that people would realize that there's a God that loves them and gave his life for them. And I think that there's a direct correlation to our trusting God with our resources and what he does in and through our lives. I wanna challenge you to embrace Jesus' call to live generously. Again, it's not about our church. It's about you and your heart and the kingdom of God. Go give it to another church. Go help another church that's starting I I discourage you from helping a dying church. Give it to a church that is going after their community. Give it to a church that wants to make a difference and impact other people with God's love. But listen, don't miss God's knocking on your heart today to trust him with your life and to trust him to live generously. I believe that the greatest of what God has for us as a church and for our lives is ahead. And I just want to keep coming before God over and over and over again saying, God, it's yours this church is yours. These people are yours. The resources you've given us are yours. Please use us to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything that we could ask or imagine. Will you join me in beginning this 90-day challenge to say, God, I'm going to trust you. Here's what we have for you. If you'll take this step today, I want to give you this book that has tremendously blessed my life. It's called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. And inside your program, there's a connection card. There's a next step on the back of your connection card that says, I will take the 90-day generosity challenge, that I will go to a whole new level of trusting God. Maybe it's saying I'm moving from threshold giving. Maybe it's I'm going to start giving at a threshold level. But I believe that through all of this, that there is great work that God wants to do. And at the end of these 90 days, we'll look back and there will be tons of changed lives and tons of stories of God's faithfulness and his provision. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me for just a moment. Some of you today, the beginning of this journey is you placing your faith in Christ to begin the relationship with him. And he's knocking on the door of your heart today, saying, will you let me come in? You can never, never outgive or outdo what God has done for you. It's not about what you can do to repay your way back to him. It's about receiving what he's already done for you. And so today, in this moment, you can begin that relationship with him by in your heart expressing your need and your faith in him. Admitting to him saying, God, I need you. I believe, Jesus, that you died on a cross. If that's you today, just say it to him in your heart. Say, I believe that you died and rose again. And I confess that I cannot do life on my own, on my own power. I want to begin a relationship with you now. Thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. I give my life to you. Others of you, the commitment you need to make is to say, God, I'm going to start trusting you as Jesus challenged us to do, to live a life of generosity, to move towards realizing that you're the one who can fill my heart with happiness and joy and giving everything I have back to you. The first of everything to say that you're able to refill every single bucket in my life. 
God, you're faithful. Your word says that given it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, running over. That God, you're the one who owns the whole bucket of Skittles. And we pray, God, that we would realize that we could never outgive you, that you continue generously to move us to a life that we've never experienced before and we want that. And I pray, God, for the people of South Bay that today we would respond to your voice and you're knocking on our hearts. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.